So this is a highly pressurized passage. The clock is ticking and the stakes could not be higher. We're talking eternal life or eternal death. And in his final moments with the crowd, what we see here is Jesus pleading and compelling and crying out, believe in me. Believe in me. I am the light of the world. Believe in me or the darkness is going to swallow you up. There's only one way out and I can truly rescue you. I can help you. I can deliver you. I can save you. I am the light that can help you. Believe in me or else be swallowed up by the darkness forever. That's very simply what Jesus is saying here. Now, just like when we get together on Sunday mornings, this was a very mixed crowd. You had some in the crowd that Jesus is preaching to. Some in the crowd were believing. They, they are there because they actually do believe in Jesus. Some are there because they're just curious. Like, I've heard about this guy. Let me go check him out for myself. So, you might be here this morning because there's something about Christianity that intrigues you and so you've come or you're listening online. No doubt whenever we gather, there are some with us who have decided, I don't believe, like I am not a Christian. I'm here, but I, I'm, not, like, I'm not part of this. I'm not a Christian. So the same types of people are here. And Jesus' message is exactly the same for all of them. It's exactly the same for every one of them. Believe in me. I am the light of the world. Believe in me. Don't be swallowed up by the coming darkness. So what I take from this is that there's an urgency for all of us here. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter who you are or where you come from, there's an urgency because the truth for all of us is this. We only get one shot at this, right? There's no do-overs in life. We get one shot. You know what it's like when you're out of power. Some of you know exactly what it's like. But when you do not have electricity, you begin to see your daytime hours much differently. The people in Jesus' audience were not running to Home Depot. They weren't borrowing generators. They knew that they had a set amount of time. The night is coming, and there is nothing I can do to stay off the darkness. Like, nighttime is coming. So I've got to use my daytime hours wisely and well. If you're a Christian, that's true of us. Like, I've got to use the time that Jesus has given me. I've got to use that well. And my goal, even though I do it so imperfectly, so inconsistently, my goal in life is to stay near to him. Like, I need him. I need to remain in him. I need his word to be instructing me all, all the course of my life. Like, I need to be in Jesus. I need to be near to him. If Jesus is over here, but I'm somewhere way over here. Or if Jesus is a mere footnote to my life, like, 
yeah, I call myself a Christian, but if you were to really get down in the nitty-gritty of my life, Jesus really has no impact in my life at all. Like he's a footnote. He's fire insurance for me. He's my get-out-of-hell card. If Jesus is over here, but I'm over here, I am flying through life blindly. But if I'm in Christ, and even imperfectly, I'm trying, and I'm coming to his light, to his word, and I'm trying to live my life this way, I know where I'm going. I can at least see the next step that I've got to take. He's my light in the midst of the darkness all around me. So there's an urgency for all of us here. And the invitation is for all of us here. We've got one shot, and Jesus says, come to me. I'm the light of the world. Come to me. Do not be swallowed up by the darkness. Now what we have here in John chapter 12 is repetition. Okay, as Jesus is finishing his public ministry, what John gives to us is three repeated aspects of Jesus' teaching. He's just going to remind us of three things that Jesus has already said, already taught. And he's doing that to punctuate those points before Jesus closes his public ministry. So what are those three punctuated reminders? What are the repetitions that we see here? The first one is an invitation. An invitation. Verses 35 and 36. Now in context, Jesus is responding to a question. Jesus has already told them that he's about to die. They get at this point that Jesus is proclaiming to be the Messiah. They understand that. What they don't understand is a Messiah that's going to suffer and die for sinners. They don't understand that. So they're essentially asking, what kind of Messiah are you? But Jesus, notice, Jesus does not go into a long explanation on this. He doesn't even really answer or address that question. It's as if Jesus is saying, I've already told you. I've already explained this to you. It's time for you to make a decision. There's an urgency here. It's time for you to decide. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's John chapter 8. He's already said this. And if we're tracking with John, John chapter 1 begins in the same type of way. Jesus is the light that's coming into the darkness. That darkness will not overcome him, overtake him. But in John chapter 1, John starts the whole gospel with the same exact words of the Hebrew Bible in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. So what John is doing in John chapter 1 is he's bringing us to the very beginning of our Bibles. When God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do on day one? Let there be light. So who is it that brings light into darkness? Who is it that brings order to chaos? Who is it that brings life and abundance and fruitfulness to an empty world that's full of void? God does that. God brings light to the darkness. Fast forward in your Bibles a little bit. Think of the Exodus when God delivered Israel from Egypt. The ninth plague that God sent 
was darkness. In Exodus chapter 10, it says very specifically, but Israel had light where they lived. So who is it? that spares his people the darkness of his judgment and gives them light. God does that. Fast forward more in your Bibles. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. When Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah, he speaks in these terms. Behold, a people who walk in great darkness have seen what? A light. Those who sit in deep darkness, a light has shone. So who is it? When people are sitting in the darkness, are suffering in the darkness, sometimes because of the result of their own sinful choices, who brings the light of grace and salvation? God does that. So what Jesus is saying to people who claimed to know their Bibles, you don't need more information. You don't need further explanation. You need to respond to my invitation. He's the only way out. He's the light in the darkness. Believe in me or be swallowed up by the darkness forever. Let me just speak to some friends here today. Or maybe you're online or maybe you're listening to this message years from now. I don't know. But let me just speak to you. If you would be in that category I described where you're here, you're listening but you would not call yourself a Christian. A couple things I want to say. First is, every job, every occupation has things about it that are uncomfortable. Like you'd rather not have to do them, right? Every one of your jobs has that. Something about your job is difficult. I'm a pastor. One of the things about my job that I find incredibly difficult, and this is true for all Christians actually, I have to talk about hell. I have an obligation in the Bible to tell people about the truth of judgment and hell. And it's really difficult. Secondly, I think early on in my Christian walk, like I really got fired up over like hellfire and brimstone sermons. Like, yeah, that's real preaching. Give it to them. I hope I've matured, but I don't think that way about those sermons anymore. Sometimes I find those sermons very off-putting. I find them gimmicky. I find them smug. It appears, and I don't know hearts, right, but it appears as if the, pre- the preacher's like super angry and he lacks humility and he forgets that the very hell that he's preaching about, he himself deserves to be in. Friends, that is not the heart of the preaching of Christ in this text. It's not. So I want to try to carefully but truthfully explain what Jesus is getting at here. This is what somebody explained to me, and it changed my life. The the darkness and light motif of the Bible is all throughout the Bible. And what the New Testament does is it takes the very words that Jesus is saying right here and expands them. So this is what the New Testament teaches about this issue of darkness. 
The light of God, when God speaks, it's referred to as light. It's revelation. So when God reveals himself, the light of his revelation in creation, and more specifically through his word, and even more specifically through Jesus, that light, what do men and women do with it? We don't receive it. Romans 1 says that we suppress it. And then Paul says that in suppressing the truth, the light of God's truth, in suppressing that, our minds and our hearts are darkened. So there's a personal darkness inside every human being that's ever lived since Adam on. Now coupled with that darkness, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you've never heard this, this is going to sound weird, weird, but it is what the Bible says. Okay, Coupled with that personal darkness, the Bible describes Satan as the prince of darkness. It describes his power as a power of darkness. It describes his influence on this world as a power of darkness. So coupled with the darkness in our own personal hearts is a system, a ruler, a power that keeps us trapped in the dark. Coupled with that is Jesus' teaching when he talks about the judgment. He uses the phrase, they will be cast into outer darkness, where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what that means. Clenched teeth, incredible anguish, anger and misery forever. So if you're tracking, there's a personal darkness that's coupled by a system of darkness awaiting the darkness of God's judgment in hell. Unless you understand those things, you don't truly understand the cross of Christ. Because in Matthew chapter 27, it says that on the cross for a period of three hours, there was darkness. That's Matthew's way of communicating to us that in that moment, The darkness of our hearts, that darkness was imputed or given. Jesus became darkness for us. And the Bible also describes that as the the hour of darkness. So on the cross, the the powers of Satan and the spiritual authorities are, are ruling such that they kill the Son of God. But the book of Colossians teaches us that They all played into Jesus' hands. He defeated and disarmed the rulers of darkness by dying on the cross and rising again. They couldn't keep him down. That's not it. Don't start clapping yet. When, When the darkness is falling, it's not just Satan. The darkness of God's judgment is falling on the Lord Jesus Christ. How this happens, I do not know, but there's an eternal suffering for sin that Jesus accomplishes on the cross in the space of time. And everyone who would put their trust in Jesus, your personal darkness is broken, the power of darkness of Satan is broken, and the darkness of God's judgment is gone from your life forever. That's the darkness of the cross. There's only one way out of that darkness. Jesus says, believe in me. I am the light of the world. Unless you believe in me, all of that darkness is going to swallow you up. If you are comprehending this or understanding this today, 
I would encourage you, please, I'm pleading with you in the same way that Jesus is pleading. Do not turn away. When I was 19 years old, somebody shared, a good friend shared this message with me. And he pleaded with me like I'm pleading with you today. If you have never trusted in Christ, I am pleading with you. Listen, I hope that you have tons of years of life left, and they're good years. But the truth is, is I don't know. I truly do not. I don't know for myself, and I certainly don't know for you. I hope you have years to live. You might not. This is what I do know. Eternal hell or eternal life awaits all of us. And so today is an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus' loving invitation who says to me, I'm the light of the world. I came so that I might give this invitation to you. Will you respond today? Will you trust him today? When I was 19, I simply said this. How do you do that? How do you respond? This is all I said. I got down on my hands and knees in my dorm room. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do, and that's exactly what I told Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to pray. I know this. I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for sinners like me on the cross. And so would you please forgive me? That's all the words I could get out. Because in that moment, my heart and my mind were flooded with this simultaneous emotion, I was so deeply gratified, uh, grateful that God had been so patient with me to that point in my life. And simultaneously, I had this feeling. This is the only way I can describe it. It's a feeling of I was so incredibly dirty, but it was like I was coming out of the best shower I had ever taken in my life. Somehow, some way, the blood of Christ has cleansed me from my sin. I felt clean for the first time in my life. And I'm telling you from that moment over 20 years ago today, why I am who I am today is because Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has kept me. That's the only explanation I can give to you. That invitation and that hope, that's the heart of Christ for you today if you've never received him. He wants to keep you and deliver you from the coming darkness. Otherwise, you will be swallowed up by it. I said we're looking at three aspects, three repeated aspects of Jesus' teaching that John's giving us here as Jesus' public ministry ends. That's the first one. It's an invitation. Secondly, he gives us an obstacle. An obstacle. In verses 37 through 43, John's describing once again the obstacle or what is it that hinders people from believing. And very simply, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. John's talked about this. He's depicted it many times already. And just to be clear, we've already said this, but it's worth repeating. When I say unbelief, I'm not talking about the average, even Christian experience of doubt. Like sometimes God's word says this, but our experience is this, and we're kind of conflicted. Like how does this, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a settled opposition to God, even though he has given us ample reason to trust in him. That's what John's getting at. Look at verse 37. 
though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. That's the obstacle. It's unbelief, a settled opposition to God. And it's almost as if John is troubled over this. Like, why are so many of my fellow Jews, my countrymen? Like, if you read the gospel closely, the large majority of people reject Jesus. In fact, the next chapter is before Jesus dies. It's only going to be the 12. And even the 12 have one that doesn't believe. So John's conflicted. Like, what is this all about? Why are so many people not believing? Well, he gives us two answers right here. And I'll warn you ahead of time, the first one is hard to fully comprehend. Why do all these people uh, not believe? It's because God has planned their unbelief. God has done it. God softens the hearts of some, and God hardens the hearts of others. And why he does that? And how he does that, I don't know. We don't fully comprehend that. It's definitely not because one person is worth it and the other person isn't. That we know. And the way that he does it is through the preaching of his word. Whenever God's word goes forth, that same word softens the hearts of some and it hardens the hearts of others. John is using Isaiah as an illustration of this. That's who John is quoting here in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was preaching a message about the suffering Messiah to come and the conquering king to come. God told him to go out and to preach that message. And God said, they're not going to believe you. The people are not going to believe you. Isaiah saw the Lord. They saw the, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah chapter 6. He's likely seeing Jesus before Jesus came to earth. Right? The, we call this the pre-incarnate Christ. Isaiah saw that. He saw his glory. And then God commissioned him to go preach about that. And he said, they're not going to believe you. That's what he's quoting here. I will harden their hearts. I'll blind their eyes. They're not going to see, they're not going to understand, they're not going to repent, they're not going to turn, they're not going to be healed. Because I'm doing that. What Jesus is here doing is he's acting out the same prophet of Isaiah's message. He is the light of the world. He's come in as the glory of God. He's preaching the light of God's salvation and nobody is listening to him. Jesus is experiencing the same exact thing that the prophet Isaiah is experiencing. And God's in control of it all. Now I think what this is supposed to do for the Christian, is that it's supposed to greatly humble us. Like if we are believers, if we are responding, if we are continually being drawn to God's word, it's not because we just happen to be more open to spiritual things than somebody else is. That's not the reason. It's not because we happen to just be smarter than the average person who doesn't understand these things. That's not it. The only reason, Christian, that you and I believe 
is because the Holy Spirit of God flipped the lights on in our lives. That's it. We were darkened and the Holy Spirit flipped the lights on to help us to see, oh, I need Jesus and he's the only one that can save me. That's it. The Holy Spirit has done that work in our lives. Which is also very encouraging because right now, do you ever feel like there's a a looming darkness that you can't really see or navigate through very well? Like there's decisions you have to make and there's plans that you're trying to make and there's just wisdom that you feel like you need in the midst of this world that always feels stressful and intimidating at times. Yes, you do. You need that wisdom. And does at times at Christian feel like you're just adrift at sea and it's dark and you're alone? Yes, you do. What this truth means is that you're never alone because the Bible teaches us that we serve and I have with us the very presence of God for whom the night is as bright as the day. The light is always with us. It's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. As long as we have the Spirit of God and the Bible with us, we're going to get through this. You're going to get through it. So, coupled with this, though, John does not always just camp out on the sovereignty of God. He also says that there's human activity. One of the obstacles of unbelief is not just because of God's activity. Look at verse 43. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Dang. Tell us how you really feel, John. (laughs) The fear of man is what this describes. The fear of man is a choice that I make. I, either confo- I choose to conform my life according to the opinions and the feelings and the sayings and the power that people have over me. I, I could choose to conform my life to that or I choose to conform my life to what God says in his word. That's a choice that I make. And who of us can't relate to failing in those choices? Like doing things before other people or not doing things before. It's hard to live as a Christian because sometimes we're so concerned about what people are going to say or do or think about us. So we just stay quiet. What John does with this text is he gets out a big spotlight. And one of the things that spotlights do really well is expose. Expose. That's a, that's a word that football coaches used to use to motivate some of my sons. Like on the sidelines, they're yelling at my sons, don't you get exposed! Don't get exposed! Which kind of meant you don't want to be the guy in the locker room when we're watching the tape and the guy that you're supposed to be covering He's wide open in the end zone. And you are nowhere to be found. You don't know what the heck you're doing. You're off over here when you're supposed to be here. You just got exposed. Now, in Pop Warner Little League football, quite honestly, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe football isn't your thing. 
But what about when you get exposed on Super Bowl Sunday? What if you're Scott Norwood from the 91 Bills and the game's on the line and you're there and you miss the field goal wide right? You get exposed and that exposure messes some dudes up. What about when your life is running on the flat screen TV of heaven and the gaze of Almighty God is focused on your life? I tell you, if you do not reckon with that exposure, you do not know what it feels like to be exposed. I wonder this morning if the Spirit of God has been so working in your life and He's inviting you, Christian, He's inviting you over and over and over. I want you to come into my light. I have some things that I am exposing in your life. And you're so afraid. You're so afraid because what that means is that other people are going to find out. The fear of man is so strong, you're afraid that other people are going to find out that this has been going on, and so you're afraid to be exposed by the light of God's holiness. The same apostle teaches us that that's part of being a Christian. Whoever says he walks in the truth but does not come into the light lies. But if you come into the light, you have fellowship with God and with others, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses you from all sin. That was the experience of Isaiah that John has in mind right here. Isaiah came before the Lord, exposed. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen and been exposed by the glory of Almighty God. And instead of perishing in that moment, what he finds is an angel coming to him and cleansing his lips. Isaiah was unclean and God made him clean. Christian, remember the gospel. That invitation is not meant to expose and embarrass you. That invitation is not meant to expose and shame you. That invitation is meant to draw you to Christ so that you would experience afresh the cleansing grace of the blood of Jesus. You can be set free. You have to come in to the light. God's Spirit exposes us and then teaches us that our solution is Jesus, the light of the world. And with him, we will not be overcome by any darkness. Come into the light. I think sometimes, too, what happens is we get defeated and discouraged as Christians, and we, we, we tend to live, not so much in the light, but we tend to live, um, I'm not worthy. Like, I'm not worthy to share Jesus with others. I just need to be quiet. Or I'm ill-equipped because of what's going on in my life to share Christ with others. John the Baptist was a witness to the light. What I want to remind you this morning is that John the Baptist, he wasn't preaching John. John the Baptist was preaching the light of the world, Jesus. That's what we offer to people. We don't offer to people ourselves. 
We don't offer to people our struggles. We offer people Jesus who is helping us with our own personal struggles, even as he wants to help them with theirs. We're witnesses to the light, and that's exactly what Isaiah eventually becomes. He's sent out, he's commissioned by God to go preach a message, and all of us are in the same boat. We're cleansed and commissioned to go preach Jesus to others. So we're looking at three aspects. The first is an invitation. The second is an obstacle. And the third, finally, is a promise. A promise. In this closing section, Jesus simply says, I offer to you a very real salvation. I'm the light, and what I offer to you is salvation. It's a promise to be saved. It's a promise of real salvation, and it's a promise of real judgment. He says, I've really come. I've come. The whole purpose for my coming and being sent by God is to save the world, not even to judge it. I've come to save it. And so if you're believing in Jesus, you can count on this. You will be saved. If you're not, you can count on the fact that you will be judged. The very message that you're hearing today, Jesus will use to condemn you on the day of judgment. But his heart is not to judge. His heart is to save. His heart is to draw you to the light. Now, the reason Jesus is making such astounding promises is that he's rooting his promise in the authority of God. Jesus constantly says, the Father and I are one. So that's what he's doing once again as he's closing his, his public ministry. He's proclaiming the message that I'm giving you, the promises of salvation, the promises of judgment, they're from God. The Father and I are one. Vicky and I, were shopping for vehicles right now. And in negotiating with the car dealership, you guys know this, right? You can negotiate the price. And inevitably, what ends up happening when you're talking to this individual is, let me go check with my manager. To which I always say, can, I just, can we just stop doing this? Can I actually talk to your manager? Can we just go right there? We do this, right? Like we're, we're out shopping and we happen to be dissatisfied or we've got questions. We're not getting the service that we want. And we tend to say, hey, can I just talk to the manager? Can we just not waste time here? I want to talk to somebody with, with power to make decisions, which usually means power to give me what I want. Now, the worst is when you're talking to that person and he or she says what? I am the manager. Like that's their trump card, right? I am the manager, which means what I'm telling you, what I say, goes. There's no higher authority that you can appeal to. Jesus is saying right here, I am the manager. I'm the manager. You can't appeal any higher up the chain. What I say to you, I mean, and none of God's promises will ever come to failure. If he's promising to save you, Christian, he will certainly save you. An unbeliever, if he's promising that this very message is going to condemn you unless you believe, that's exactly what's going to happen. What he says goes. And it's an invitation to believe. An invitation to come to him. I'll have Darren come back up.
as we close the service. As time is running out, as Jesus, who's crying out to a lost and dying world, he's saying, I'm the light of the world. Don't let the darkness overtake you. Come to me. Believe in me. Use the time that you have to walk in my light. I think again of that story that I opened up with. The whole story is filled with stress and anxiety and tension until the chamber starts working, until the water starts draining, until the door unlocks and the seal, the Navy SEAL comes out of the darkness into the light of the submarine. The tension and the stress and the anxiety, it all gives way to relief and to peace and to rejoicing. That's the offer of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me, come out of the darkness and come to me. And as you escape the darkness, you come into that same type of relief and joy and peace. That's what he extends to us as we believe in him. Amen.